0: May there be every good blessing. May the devas protect us. By the power of all the Buddhas, may we forever be well. May there be every good blessing. May the devas protect us by the power of the Dharma. May we forever be well. May there be every good blessing. May the devas protect us by the power of all the sangha. May we forever be well. Beautiful, isn't it? From the Abhaya Parita, the metta chant. These are pictures of um, some of the thousands of young people who murdered or raped and are sitting on death row. Um, They murdered or raped before they were 17 years old but they're being tried as adults. I remember um, looking at this newspaper, it's um, It was um, uh, in San Francisco, after one of the retreats I did at Spirit Rock. And being so deeply touched. It's mostly um, Chicano and black faces, and Puerto Ricans. um, and And I felt so touched because they were children. They were children. And that they didn't know, um, they didn't know what was true. No no different in a way, no different in a way from us. Beings who um, were driving in the dark, and we often are driving in the dark without headlights, unable to see our way. And often we ask ourselves, and many people have been asking the same questions for um, thousands of years, and they ask the, um, the Buddha that question, what, well, what is true? How do I know what's true? And um, what is there to tell us? And these, these young men really join us in that question of still searching inside of us and searching in our lives for what really is true. For the, in the times when we feel despairing, in the times when we're involved in a horrible fight with someone that we love or that someone we don't like, um, what's true in the times that we're sitting here and feeling bored and in the times we're like, "What am I doing here? you know what what's true? And really, that question seems like it it is a question that is at the very heart of our life and resounds through our lives. And unless we're able to meet it, we might end up in some way or another as led astray as these, as these young men who, like us, have the potential for finding their beauty but couldn't see in the dark. Some of you have heard this before, when the Buddha reached enlightenment and was able to see everything that one can see about life, and he saw his own cycle of lives for thousands and thousands of years. He said that there actually when you went back um, and looked at the beginning of life, you could not a beginning, that life has a beginningless beginning, and that he saw this beginningless beginning of life, life after life after life, of his own life, and the energies that propelled his life forward until he became a Buddha. And then his mind was so perceptive and so psychic, he looked at all lives and he looked at all people who have born and died and born and died and he saw the nature of karma and what not seeing the truth means and how not seeing the truth brings suffering. And you know what he decided to do? He decided to just go into the forest and practice because it was kind of overwhelming And then this yet another deva, another angel from the heavenly realms came down and said, won't you take pity on us because we can't see the truth? Won't you take pity on us and teach? And you know what? The Buddha said, no. He said, it is so thick. I see people Here, I see people, millions, trying to be happy and doing the wrong thing in that search for happiness. Actually, I see millions of beings searching for truth and happiness and not only not finding it, but ending up imprisoning themselves more and more with suffering. And I can't do it. And the deva, who was persistent, asked him again, and he said, no, again. And the deva asked him again, and the Buddha said, all right. (laughs) (coughs) So what do we see? What do we see when we start when we start to cultivate mindfulness, when we start to shine the headlights of the car into ourselves, when we start to look a little bit because that light is beginning to brighten enough to make visible what is lying inside of us, our dynamic, our lives. And the Buddha said that we see In the beginning, we see three forces very particularly. We see greed, we see hatred, and we see delusion. And it is these forces that obscure for us or darken for us the reality of the deep possibility of freedom and happiness. They're, they're, um, they're like, um, oh, uh, I'm trying to come up with an image that isn't so traditional. Um, it's, it's like cotton candy. <laughs> I used to love it as a kid, but you know, as soon as you put it in your mouth, there was nothing there. <laughs> It was very seductive, it was pink, it looked great, it smelled great, you really wanted it, and my mom was forever saying, no, you can't have it, and I only got it when some other mother took me to the fair. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) So these forces seduce us, these forces seduce us, into um, into actions that end up really hurting us.
1: <coughs>
0: the Buddha said that each one of us here has from habit over the many, many um, hours we've lived, if you don't believe in karma, and if you do believe in karma over the many, many lifetimes we've lived, that each one of us, has actually a particular personality expression of one of these forces in particular or as predominant. So he said that each one of us is either a greedy type, a hating type, or a deluded type. It's great <laughs> it's great because here's what's beautiful about exploring this as a personality type, often, for example, um, m- my partner and I go and and see movies, I love seeing movies, you know, and I'll come out and I'll say. God, that was awful, man. Can you believe this character said this? And I can't believe the director ended the movie like that. I'm like constantly criticizing the movie. And I think what I'm seeing is really true, you know? But actually, what I'm seeing is through the eyes of an aversive personality. (laughs) (laughs) And even though what I think is true... What aversion does is to distort reality Mm -hmm. by seeing and seeking out the negative aspects of experience and highlighting them beyond what that situation really is. So that actually I'm not only seeking out the negative I bow I'm not, <laughs> but nevertheless this pattern establishes itself where I just see, it's like my eyes just pick out, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and I don't see very easily the positive qualities, and so the result is I don't really like a lot of things. That's a, An aversive personality doesn't really like a lot of things. and. Um, we end up being quite judgmental, irritated, angry, and hating. That's our predominant expression. (laughs) (laughs) It's so fun getting to know yourself.
1: We're we're compatible with teachers because we're both aversive types.
0: (laughs) So um a verse of types that the uh, um, the the which is one of the um, honored texts of explanation of the Buddhist teaching uses um, these are these are traditional descriptions but um, it's kind of fun it's kind of fun actually to hear them it says um, um, the um, the Part of aversion has the characteristic of savageness like a provoked snake. Its function is to spread like a drop of poison, or its function is to burn up its own support like a forest fire. It is manifested as persecuting, like an enemy that has got his chance. Its proximate cause is the grounds of annoyance, that is unpleasant conditions. So when unpleasant conditions come up then, and it's a vicious cycle because that's what you see, is the unpleasant aspects of things, then, then the, the aversion or the hating arises. And it should be regarded like stale urine mixed with poison.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so
0: yeah, they rarely get into similes. So, um, so aversion, I started with aversion because I'm aversive. Um, Greed, what is greed? This is how they describe greed. It is described as having the characteristic of grasping an object. Its function is sticking, like putting meat in a hot frying pan. It is manifested as not giving up the fast dye bound to cloth. Its proximate cause is seeing enjoyment in things which lead to bondage. Swelling with the currents of craving, it should be regarded as carrying beings along with it to states of misery as a swift-flowing river does to the sea. So um, in our language, um, the greedy type is the opposite of the aversive type and just sees the positive qualities in things. I used to hate Anne of Green Gables because Anne of Green Gables just saw (laughs) the positive quality in things and as an aversive character she drove me mad. (laughs) So you don't just see the positive qualities in things, you ignore the reality of the situation and and the unpleasant um, qualities of things and you actually see more positive qualities than the situation deserves. And in seeing that positive quality, the greedy mind goes forward and comes close to it, grasps hold, and won't let go. So, um, for example, I have um, one of my best friends is a um, greedy personality, and she is just totally into absolutely everything there is to do. If there is a concert in our little town, she wants to go, and if there's someone giving a talk, she wants to go, and she just loves buying clothes, and she's got all these beautiful things in her house, and um, she is constantly attracted and desiring of all experiences, and she sees them all in a positive light. you know. And it's just fascinating for me to be with her. <laughs> And, um, so, the deluded type, the last type. <coughs> Delusion has the characteristic of blindness or unknowing. Its function is non-penetration or to conceal the true nature of an object. It is manifested as the absence of right view and as darkness. Its proximate cause is unwise attention, and it should be regarded as the root of all that is unwholesome. Now, I hope I brought, and I might have forgotten. To bring, um, so, um, sh- oh, here. So I want to read your story of a deluded type. This is from Sharon Salzberg. As I walked by the place where I usually park my car, I noticed that the car was gone. I thought, that's strange. My car's gone. Why is that? The night before, I'd gone to Cambridge to give a talk, and when I came back, there was almost no gas in the car. So not yet quite awake, I confusedly thought, well, maybe someone took it to put gas in it. (laughs) I went into the staff dining room and the first person I saw was the staff person who, of anyone, was the most likely person to have taken the car. So I asked him, did you take my car? And he said, no, I didn't take your car. I said, you didn't take my car? No, he replied. And I said, well, it's gone. And then then he said, are you sure? Well, a car is quite a large object. So I said, it really seemed to be gone. (laughs) It looked altogether gone, but right away I started to doubt myself. I thought, maybe it was there, and I just walked by it and didn't notice it. (laughs) Then a friend who had overheard this exchange said, you know, you probably just lent it to somebody and you forgot. And I said, of course I probably forgot. Then I thought, who could I have lent it to? I couldn't think of anybody, so I spent much of the morning wondering what had happened to my car. When I went to lunch, another friend walked in and I asked her, did you take
1: my car? And
0: she said, no, I didn't take your car. Just then, Joseph walked by and said, Oh, I know what happened to your car. I asked, what happened to my car? He said that he had lent the car to someone who needed it urgently. No other car was available, and there hadn't been an opportunity during the morning to tell me about it. This whole exchange reminded me so much of the classical Buddhist system of personality types. In this system, I am what's referred to as deluded, and I realized that my reaction to what had transpired with my car was a perfect manifestation of that sort of personality. For one thing, deluded types don't do well early in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) So I got very perplexed. Deluded types tend to lose confidence in their own perception and thus go spiraling in confusion with feelings of bewilderment and uncertainty. That is just what I had done with the missing car. In response to any particular situation, some people tend to look on the bright side, some will focus on what is wrong, and some will feel confused. So, um, so then the Vasudi Marga goes into some more detailed description, and I just thought I would read a little bit of the different, of these different types. So, and they, they give these, it's, it's kind of fun. Um, so they say, the step of a greedy person is springy. The step of a hating one drags along and the step of a deluded one will press down. The stance of a greedy temperament is confident and graceful. That of a hating temperament is rigid, and that of a deluded temperament is muddled. Likewise in sitting. And one of greedy temperament spreads her bed out unhurriedly, lies down slowly, composing her limbs, and sleeps in a confident manner. When woken, instead of getting up quickly, she gives her answer slowly as though doubtful. One of hating temperament spreads her bed hastily anyhow with her body flung down and sleeps with a scowl. When woken, she gets up quickly and answers as though annoyed. Now, I think that's true. I wake up really irritable. (laughs) One of deluded temperament spreads his bed all awry, sleeps mostly face downward with his body sprawling. When woken up, he says, hmm, (laughs) (laughs) by the action. In the acts of sweeping, because I guess they used to sweep a lot, one of greedy temperament grasps the broom well and sweeps cleanly and evenly without hurrying or scattering the sand, as if he were strewing Sindhuvara flowers. One of hating temperament grasps the broom tightly and sweeps uncleanly and unevenly with a harsh, hurried noise, throwing up the sand on each side. One of deluded temperament grasps the broom loosely and sweeps neither cleanly or evenly making the sand up and turning it over. (laughs) (laughs) One of greedy temperament wears his robe neither too tight or too loose, confidently. One of hating temperament wears it too tight and not level at all. And one of deluded temperament wears it loosely and in a muddled way. And I'll just do one more. One of greedy temperament likes eating rich, sweet food. When eating, he makes a round lump, not too big, and eats unhurriedly, savoring the various tastes. He enjoys getting something good. One of hating temperaments likes eating rough, sour food. When eating, she makes a lump that fills her mouth and eats hurriedly, not savoring the taste. She is aggrieved when she gets something not good. One of deluded temperament has no settled choice. When eating, she makes a small, unrounded lump, and as she eats, she drops bits in her dish, smearing her face with her mind <laughs> astray, thinking of this and that.
1: <laughs> it's so
0: funny, isn't it? So this, the, um, the, the, the personality types um, permeate um, our whole way of being. And um, just to tell you another interesting story. I've been teaching for years and I've been meditating for years, for 20 years. And um, in my last relationship, the, um, the reason it ended was because my partner said that I was going away too much at the time. I had gone to a three month retreat. I had gone um, um, I was training with my teacher, so I was teaching with her, and I was away a lot and When she challenged me, um, it just felt totally justifiable to me to say, "Well, I know what i 'm doing is right, and what i 'm doing is um, totally beneficial, and if you can 't support me, then you know we we can 't dance together and um, it took me, <laughs> deepening in my practice, to see that for me, one of the ways that hating temperament um, expresses itself is not actually being able to hang around because it's aversive and so it's always pushing away at things. And that in a very subtle way, one of the challenges of, um, that I'm faced in my intimate relationship is actually staying. Present, and not just striking away and creating distance between myself and all the things around me because pushing away is the expression of a deluded person, I mean of an aversive personality. So the way, now it's different for, I'm, I don't think that's tr- necessarily true for all of us, but the way that we can come to know these personality traits actually um, expresses itself or can express itself in all aspects of our relationship. And it becomes um, very subtle. And so what's what's, um, beautiful about starting to investigate ourselves as a personality type is that we start to be able to see that repetitive pattern of our mind and the way that it will take particular stories, like I'm a teacher, of course I have to go away as as often as I do, and use it to rationalize the the deluded motion that's present as an aversive um, personality. um, one of the challenges that my uh, that my friend that my friend um, who's greedy is now she's not present a lot in her relationship. Her partner has the same um, challenge as my partner, but for her it's because she is so attracted to wanting to do all these things all the time. She is so caught by this and this and this that she ends up not being able to spend that much time with her partner. So it's the same challenge in terms of intimacy but the expression of us, of it is held by our particular temperament so um now it would be that i i, I could talk about um um the deluded personality, because my partner's um, deluded. But then recently she said, "Don't you go talking about me in your dharma talks."
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, the Buddha actually, the Buddha actually gave some. Um, he gave some very interesting antidotes as a way for us to challenge these, um, these particular um, energies. And, um, and um, so here's some examples that the Vasudhi Marga gave. For greedy types, the suitable lodging for a greedy type who is on this path is to um, live in a house with an unwashed sill dilapidated, spattered with dirt, full of bats, bleak, (laughs) surroundings where the bed and chair are filled with bugs. (laughs) The the clothes should have torn off edges with threads hanging down, harsh to the touch, soiled and heavy and hard to wear. (laughs) The, The bowl or utensil should be disfigured, heavy and misshapen, food should be gruel and rice but served casually as if putting a cow in a pen, (laughs) the right kind of rice should be poor broken rice with stale buttermilk. Really, what the what the teaching is inviting us to is to um, is to create situations if we're the if we're the greedy type, so that we are not pulled, so that we are not pulled by um, that that movement of the mind to grasp for attractive objects. And the meditation the Buddha gave to greedy types was to um, contemplate all the, um, the 32 parts of the body, mucus, phlegm, pus, blood, bone marrow, snot, I think that was mucus, um, saliva, <laughs> um, to basically to, to become disenchanted with things so that we become free. Because take a moment and think about what it is to feel so bound, to feel so tied in to the attractive qualities of an object. It is deep suffering. Remember the story of Scrooge, that that compulsive need to count money, that tightness, the contracted heart? We all have it, because we all have these all of these energies, just one is predominant, and it's that that constant bondage to something, to some experience or something outside of ourselves. It's the deepest suffering, the Buddha said, to be tied into our greed. Not only are we bound by that force to the object, not only are we bound to the object, but that that Sense of being bound or pulled actually separates us off from all other parts of ourselves in the universe, and so we end up feeling bound and isolated at the same time. We, um, we were talking, in the other Dharma talks about being one, being at one <coughs> with all of life. Greed actually, it's like a horse blinders; it separates us off from all of life, and actually we become victims to the object that we're tied to. Do you see how? That because we locate our happiness in these things or experiences, it it could be an experience or a person, we're tied to them and we become a victim to them and we're determined by them because we're locating our happiness in that object. And so we are actually deeply disempowered. So, Breed, hatred, is that is the constant movement of pushing away? It is also isolating. It is um, it is a, a contraction of the heart and mind that cannot feel the connection to all other things because it is in the state of aversion and contraction. And delusion is that place of not knowing, of being foggy, of being unclear, of being bored, of sort of that, 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 that lack of energy and lack of direction where you just feel you're sort of floating and pushed by the currents of your friends, by what's happening around you, by it's as though you were a boat in the ocean and you were rudderless. And we've all experienced that too. So... Mindfulness is so beautiful. Mindfulness is, mindfulness is the, the deepest blessing that a human being has, because mindfulness has the capacity to see these patterns and to see that they're not true. So that in our moments of wanting or not wanting, or just not seeing, we can see that and we don't have to take it as the truth. In seeing it, not in rejecting it, but in a saying, aha, this is my habit pattern. The force of the habit pattern and its hold in our mind starts to disintegrate, starts to open up and to lose its power. And so more and more we have the capacity to see clearly. And really these teachings are about inviting us to this capacity to see clearly and to see what is true. There is no greater suffering than not seeing what is true and these young men represent that. And it's not only do they represent it actually in their lives, but they represent all those forces in our lives that over and over again get confused and think by expressing our anger, by getting seduced into one of our addictions, by allowing ourselves to to hang out in that fuzzy, deluded, not-knowing space. That, that what we are doing is serving ourselves when actually we are not. To see that, to see it as you have sometimes seen so clearly your breath over and over again, and to see, wow, I don't have to go with that energy, becomes deeply liberating. Actually, what the practice of mindfulness does is not only to see, to help us see what's true about ourselves and to see these habit patterns and so to free ourselves from them, but actually to transform greed into faith. So it's said that those with greedy personalities through the practice become deeply empowered through faith. And those that are aversive become deeply empowered through wisdom. And those who are deluded, become deeply empowered through equanimity. So, um, faith, um, greed is placing faith in an object, right? Thinking that an object or an experience will give us happiness. Faith, its its transformed strength, is is placing is is having faith in our capacity to free ourselves, in the um, the Dharma, in the Sangha, in teachers and their skill. It's it's being able to place trust in what is skillful as against in what is unskillful. And it's the same thing, it's coming close, but it's coming close to what is skillful. So that's the transformation of greed. Beautiful. And the transformation of hatred is wisdom because one of the characteristics of aversion is that it sees clearly. It sees, it has the capacity to penetrate deeply, and that's what wisdom does. Wisdom is the capacity to penetrate deeply into um, whatever experience is arising and to see this time with dispassion rather than hatred, how it is in our lives, to see the impermanence, to see the universality of our experience. So. Aversion transforms into wisdom, and delusion, which is that not knowing, that when it um, when it uh, is transformed through mindfulness, becomes equanimity, the the ability to um, remain centered and even-minded. Despite all the changes of life, despite pleasant situations and unpleasant situations, the different winds of fortune, fame or disrepute, all the different things that happen in our life, delusion of that not knowing becomes an even-minded and stability like a mountain, unmoving in equanimity. When we first walked this path, there was some part of us that knew that we were more than just our personality types. This is what Oprah Winfrey says about her role in um, playing Seth in um, the movie that she just made. I had to think about what it took to be Seth. And I came out of it with the greatest sense of pride, pride I never even imagined. What would it take to live on a plantation where you can't read? The newspapers around you don't tell you anything about you. You don't see anything, hear anything, or know anything that says your life has any value. Nothing, not a poem, not a book, not a song. And the songs that exist are about God. Just let me get through. We can make it over. Hold on to God's unchanging hand. That's what gospel came out of, the need for something to hold on to, a belief that something is bigger than yourself. So what would it take to have the kind of spirit and will to say, I am better than this. I don't know if I would have had that, the will, to take my children and to run and not know where I'm going. To say, I'm going to go north, but which way is that? Freedom is north, which way is that? I don't know how long it's going to take me to get there, and I don't have shoes to run, or food, or know whether there will be water along the way, but I know I'm better than this. His teachings say that we are actually more than the greed and hatred and delusion that express themselves through us. That we actually are more than the places where we get caught in desire or aversion or not knowing that we actually have lying within us the potential the the muscle that just needs to be worked and practiced that allows us to see clearly and it is mindfulness that we're that we're practicing this muscle that lies inside of our hearts and minds that can see that Not only are we more than this, not only actually are we God or goddess or universal, we are infinite in our capacity to live in a deep connection with love and with ourselves. And that what that's asking of us is this very tedious, very tedious work in a way, but actually it's quite beautiful too, of over and over again saying, ah, come back to my breath, oh come back to my step, oh come back, what am I seeing, what am I hearing, what am I thinking? Coming back over and over again with awareness to our experience, because it is in that relationship to our experience that we can see, oh wait, I don't have to be defined in this way. And that, I know for all of us, that means challenging ourselves on the deepest level in all of our lives. It means challenging us when we're hating our body, or when we're taking pride in our body. It means challenging us in the patterns that we have in our intimate relationships. It means challenging us in how we are in our work, in all those ways, in the ways that we might overblow ourselves because we're the greedy type and we're seeing just what is attractive, or in the ways that we're undermining ourselves or in the ways that we don't see ourselves clearly in our professional lives. Over and over again, we're not just talking about the meditation hall, we're really talking about all aspects of our life and having the courage to go north, even when we don't know the direction, but we know that we can be present, and that moment after moment, By being present with ourselves, we can free ourselves of these patterns. And I thought over again my small adventures as with a shore wind I drifted out in my kayak, and I thought I was in danger, my fears, those small ones, that I thought so big for all the vital things I had to get and to reach, and yet there is only one great thing, the only thing, to live, to see, in huts and on journeys, the great day that dawns and the light that fills the world. So let's sit for a moment.